Welcome to Voices Amplified Edition of Radioactive. Radioactive is a show that plugs you into the community, and I'm Valine Prachevich, your Indigenous representative of the Clinkett Aleut and Athabascan Nations here on Voices Amplified at Salt Lake Community College. Stay tuned as a new wave of journalists join me to talk about the stories that they've been covering and as we connect with our community. And before we dig into our show, we at Salt Lake Community College and Radioactive want to acknowledge that we are collectively on the Native American shared territory of the Goshut, Navajo or Diné, the Paiute, Shoshone, and the Ute people. We honor the original ancestors and descendants of this land, and we offer respect to their tribal communities. And we acknowledge that this history to cultivate respect and to advocate with our indigenous students and communities that are still connected to this land. For the second half of Radioactive, we're going to be speaking with Salt Lake community members of the Diversity Office and the JEDI program. But first, we're talking with Johnny Telstra, a reporter of The Globe News at Salt Lake Community College, as he shares his legislative preview and how $1 billion in Utah's education fund could affect schools across the state. Johnny, thank you for joining us and speaking about this new legislative session. Awesome. Thank you for having me on. It's great to be here. Before we get into it, though, Johnny, can you introduce yourself to our listeners? Because folks, they may recognize you as the recent host of Radioactive, and we're so glad to have you back. But tell us a little bit more about yourself. Absolutely. You know, I'm happy to be back and I'm excited to have you host today. Uh, I am, as Lily mentioned, I am a staff writer at The Globe, which is Salt Lake Community College's newspaper. I'm a student here. Um, I am also a dual citizen of Canada and the United States. I've been living here in Utah since 2016, and I have come to truly love this place and really am excited to tell the stories of people who live here. Wonderful. Thank you for being here. And we're reaching out with you today because you wrote a recent article on the legislative preview and the higher education bill that's going to be discussed. So how did the higher education in Utah get to a billion dollar budget and where does that money come from? So the, yeah, you have the education fund here in Utah, which has, as uh, when I was speaking with, for my article, Scott Brown, who is a uh, director of local government relations here at Salt Lake Community College. They were talking about that the billion dollars in the education fund. A lot of that has come uh, from the American Rescue Plan, which was the stimulus bill passed by the Biden administration. Uh, that bill included about $500 million for higher education here in Utah. And so that's where a lot of that money comes from. The rest of it comes from your state income taxes. Is that, you know, like when you're paying those taxes, that's where those funds go into and that's how they get to those funds that they will distribute out to higher education facilities. Okay. So Johnny, if you can let us know and kind of paint a picture here, how does the potential higher education budget, how is it going to be allocated amongst, I mean, you talk higher education, but you have to get really specific of where that money is going to go to justify it. So what does that look like? Yeah. I mean, definitely whenever you're talking about, you know, allocating, especially large amounts of money like this, you know, people get very specific about where they want that money to go and how they want that money to be spent. For higher education, a lot of the time, the biggest budget ask in those bills is typically uh, for pay increases for compensation for staff and faculty at these institutions, which, you know, it really makes sense uh, when you think about higher ed institutions like the University of Utah, Salt Lake Community College and others that, you know, we can have, we can spend all the money in the world on super cutting edge technology, the fanciest buildings you can imagine, but if you do not have like competent faculty to teach the students there that it that's not going to go anywhere. So like you need to spend the money on 
making sure that you have qualified and competent, you know, people that are there to teach the students and have, and to have them there. And so making sure that they're well compensated for their efforts is always an important and highest priority for, uh, for the legislative session when it comes to higher education. And referring back to your, um, your story that's in the globe, the Salt Lake Community College student newspaper. And you also um, referenced the fact that this money also is hopefully going to those who are staff members here at Salt Lake Community College who need more support with the increased cost of living and hopefully getting them a raise. Is that true? Like, what does that look like for them? Yeah. So one of the things when I was talking with Scott Brown about this is that, you know, for employees at higher education facilities that they are like state employees in a sense. They don't exactly are not governed in the same way as other state employees, but they do work for the state. And so one of the things that they talk about a lot is that often in higher education, that they're not getting the same levels of compensation raises as other state employees. So that is something that, you know, can trouble them because especially, you know, this particular year we have higher inflation, cost of living is going up a lot more. So making sure that the, they're being matched with the other state employees is very important to them. And as far as getting down to like individual staff members for, you know, I know a lot of students that are working at the college as either part-time staff or full-time staff that they, they definitely want to see. I mean, who wouldn't want to see a little bit of a pay increase, but it's making sure that that is distributed in a way that keeps the college uh, running well and smoothly is really their goal. And it's almost like basically so they can afford to keep working for Slick. Yeah, it can definitely be that, you know, especially in a hot job market like we have here in Utah right now, that it can be really difficult to hold on to staff because they might receive better offers from a variety of other companies or institutions that are very competitive. So if Slick, you know, needs to have that additional funding come in so that they can keep pace and make sure that they can keep the great employees that they have in order to keep functioning as well as they do. Great. And you mentioned Scott Brown, the Salt Lake Community College Director of Government Relations. And what did he share with you in your article about Salt Lake Community College's specific goals for the legislative session? Yeah. So he works with like another organization beyond Salt Lake, like the Utah Higher Education like Committee. And so they have like their own set of goals and things. But at you know the government relations office at slick they do have a couple of particular goals of their own that exist outside of like broader goals for the state for this year the programs that scott was looking to hopefully work with to get additional funding for are the pace scholarships and then the veteran business resource center and so with those programs can you tell us a little bit about the veteran business resource center and then also after i'm going to follow up and i want to hear about the pace scholarships because it sounds like there are pilot programs and if they're requesting more funding then it's my understanding that they're probably doing pretty well yeah that would be a pretty good assumption to make is that these are pilot programs that start with pretty small bases for the pace scholarship and or sorry, you wanted me to talk about the Veteran Business Center first. That was one that they've started. That's at the Miller campus in Sandy. And that's, you know, they've been able to connect with veterans and help them. The goal there is to get veterans from basically having like the idea for a business or to take a business that they already have and to grow it into for those that are just starting a business is, you know, it's getting to that point where they're able to operate and have a functioning business for those that already have businesses. It's, you know, being able to grow those revenue streams and be able to grow the opportunities so that they can be more successful. And that's something that 
they have had a lot of success in the past few years that, you know, when I was talking to Scott about it, he had mentioned that, that they, the funding was actually a little low in the past few years, but they have experienced a lot of success with even that lower level of funding that they've been able to both connect with a lot of veterans and bring them into the program and have them get started. And also that, you know, the particularly like the revenue streams of these companies that these veterans were starting was they were growing and they were succeeding. So it's something that they want to be able to get some additional funding so they can expand that program and really see, you know, what they can do for veterans. I love hearing that for veterans. And it makes me feel like if this program is so success, successful, I'm wondering too, if that's something that they can expand to other marginalized communities that could use startup for business, because that is a challenge. And then if you can let us know too about the PACE program, exactly um, if you can speak to the success of it and then how effective it is for students. So when I talked to Scott, he didn't get into too many specifics about how successful the PACE program is, but what it is for those that are unaware is that the PACE, is, PACE scholarship is a program to help first-generation college students that need financial aid help them get to college. These are, you know, these are students in high school that when they're thinking about college, the biggest concern for them is probably that you know, whether or not they can afford to go to college, whether or not they can get those funds working and get those funds into, the, into their pockets in order to be able to attend college. And that's the PACE program is there to help those students make that leap in their families to be the first in their families to attend college. And that's something that they have had some success with. They currently operate out of four high schools here in Utah. That's out of Cottonwood, East, Highland, and West high schools. And when I was talking to Scott about it, that their goal would be to get additional funding to not only expand within the schools that they already operate in to get more students onto the PACE scholarship, but to expand that out into other high schools in the Valley and make sure that, you know, this is not a program that only exists if you go to a specific high school here in Utah. Great. And then speaking about high schools and uh, Scott Brown also speaks about the need for advocacy and awareness campaign due to decreased admissions to two and four year colleges. Students um, are going into the workforce, which is great because it's a hot economy right now. But they want to make sure that people know about trade programs, applied associates, and four-year programs at the universities. Uh, here, we're going to hear from Scott Brown, the Salt Lake Community College Director of Government Relations, on dispelling myths about higher education and more. They have asked for a number of years now to, to have funding to run specific advertising campaigns around the value of higher education and because college-going rates, especially in Salt Lake County, are trending down, um, you know, we're fully on board with the idea that, you know, people don't fully understand it. They think it's too expensive. You know, anecdotal uh, stories about people saying it wasn't worth it for me to go to, to college. It was too expensive. Um, I could have got a job you know, doing X, doing for so many dollars an hour, whatever. And, and so the system is looking at it and saying, we need to tell the real story about the value of higher education, part of an overall movement to say, you're, you know, over your lifetime, if you have some college, your lifetime earnings are significantly higher, for instance, and your opportunities are better. And, and you're, you know, even so far as to say that those that have some higher education, tend to be healthier and live longer, those kinds of statistics. 
That was Scott Brown, the director of local government relations at Salt Lake Community College, speaking about the proposed awareness campaign to reach out to Utahns and to show them the benefit of higher education. And now, Johnny, mental health services, uh, the demand has increased and they want to keep up with the demand. And in a Globe article through Salt Lake Community College, uh, the, it was quoted by Juliana DeMay that Scott Caldera, a psychologist of counseling at Salt Lake Community College, says that college students' mental health crisis has been happening for over 10 years. And it seems like the pandemic has totally increased that need. So how will the higher education bill, Johnny, seek to meet the needs for college students? Yeah, so this is one that uh, if you look on they, they have like a list of their legislative priorities for the year and mental health is brought up a number of times because it is something that is a very high priority for the for higher education to help these students out, especially in these pandemic times that we're all experiencing some additional mental strain. Uh, as far as how it would work, it's the basic idea is that schools themselves don't necessarily apply for the money themselves is that they work together with all higher education systems to kind of get a big block of money from the legislature and then to disperse that through the schools as needed. And that, and that allows the individual schools to make the choices that they feel like are most important to them to assist their students. And that can go as far as, you know, hiring additional counselors, maybe creating additional material that exists outside of canceling for students to use. You could you know, helping clubs get started, get support groups going, or even just simply, you know, creating marketing campaigns to help let people know about what services are available to them on that campus. Like the, the, the idea is to get a big block of money moved into the higher education as a whole, and then to disperse that to schools as they need it, because each school is going to be different that some schools are going to have a better handle on mental health issues that they're, of their students. Some are going to be struggling more and they're going to need additional funding for that. So making sure that they were able to distribute in a way that helps the most students possible is the goal. So when will this legislation for higher education, when will it be approved and signed into law? Since the higher education, this is a lot of budget related material. Uh, we are not likely to see a lot of this really confirmed in the exact numbers until much closer towards the end of the legislative session. You know, we, a lot of these, these are so, sort of the things that as all the other because education has to compete with all the other priorities that exist for the state for the for those funds. So as they work closer, you know, everybody wants to get a piece of that billion dollar pie, as we mentioned earlier. So making sure that they're balancing that out and trying to figure out exactly where all those money, where all those funds are going to go is it can be definitely difficult. And yeah, and we also had the recent tax cut that existed that got passed and that's going to be about 200 million out of the education fund that for future, for future education spending is being instead used on the state income tax cut. So, I mean, that's, that's definitely going to affect long-term budget <laughs> questions down the line. It's going to, it's, it's going to hurt, probably hurt some programs down the line, but you know, that's something where as all the things are competing that, you know, these are things that are ultimately up to the legislature members that as elected representatives, they have to decide how to distribute that money. And that's, you know, it's, you know, people like Scott Brown's job is to talk to them and to lobby them and to really push them to be like, you should spend as much of this money as possible on higher education. But again, everyone's trying to get a piece of that pie. There are people pushing from all sides for it. So it's, 
it's a it's a dog eat dog world in the world of government spending. So when does this actual pie per se get cut? When's the end of the legislative session? The legislative session is scheduled to end on March 4th. So we should be seeing like finalized versions of these bills for the most part towards the end of the month as we kind of get to the end there and as the House and state Senate vote on these things to eventually hopefully send these bills to the governor's desk to be signed into law. So in a couple of weeks, we should have a lot more information. So how can exactly students and their families get involved to help have a say in their taxes and the emergency fund funding and how they are spent? I mean, this is when I was talking to Scott about this, this is something that he got very excited about, you know, like it's just, it seems almost cliche to say, but it's just get involved. It's, you know, and however way that you, you can, you know, that might mean going to town hall meetings, you know, that your local representatives, your state representatives, these are people that will listen to you. If you tell them what you feel like, what feels, what you feel like needs to be done, that these are since we're at a much smaller level than say like at the national level where, you know, representatives are representing potentially millions of people and it can be really hard to hear those voices at, at a state level, it's a lot smaller. So your voice is much more amplified in this situation. We have, you can really get that voice out there. You can make it heard. So it is absolutely not too late to have your voice heard by your local representatives and to have your own effect on it. Talk to your local representatives and it can even be as simple as, you know, it sounds almost a little dull and boring to watch like the f- debate floor and see what they're debating, but that helps you be more informed so that when you talk to your representative, you can tell them, be like, I don't like the idea of you, you know, spending all this money on tax cuts when we should be spending it on like mental health services and colleges that like, you know, that's something you can tell your representative. So it's truly is just get involved, get in there and let your voice be heard. Wonderful. And We will be having these links in the Radioactive blog so that you can find ways that you can get involved. And coming up next, we're going to be checking in with our Asian American community members as the Lunar New Year celebrations come to an end. But first, we'll be hearing from Salt Lake Community College Jedi for Social Justice Program. Hmm, Forrest feels strong with this one. It does. Thank you so much, Johnny, for joining us and giving us insight into the legislative preview of higher education and empowering students and their families to get involved and have their voices heard. Johnny, can we get a song from you? Uh, What's on your legislative playlist? What's your hype song? You know, when I think about the legislative session, a song that always comes to mind for me is a bit of a throwback. This is Land of Confusion from Genesis. And, you know, not only is can the legislative session be confusing for a lot of people, but that's a song that really speaks to the idea that your voice can be heard and you can make a, you know, a noticeable difference in your community if you have the willingness to step up and get in there. So definitely Land of Confusion is a song that I think of a lot when I think about the legislative session. And also a fun fact for the Netflix Emily in Paris fans, the star Lily Collins is the daughter of Phil Collins, the lead singer of Genesis. And you're listening to the student takeover of Radioactive with The Globe, Salt Lake Community College's student-run newspaper on KRCL. Here's Land of Confusion, Genesis.
everyone plays a role in suicide prevention. Call 1-800-273-8255. Talk for 24-7 free and confidential support for people in distress, prevention and crisis resources for you or your loved ones, and best practices for professionals. There's nothing like good music. And with your help, we can continue KRCL's mission of music discovery. See if your employer will match your recent donation to KRCL and double down on your support. Make a gift, pick out a t-shirt, and see if your employer matches contributions at krcl.org. Welcome back to Radioactive. I'm Valian Prachevich, your host with The Globe, Salt Lake Community College's student-run newspaper. And we're hosting the show tonight to share diverse stories from the community in partnership with KRCL and Amplify Utah. We'll be connecting with Dr. Z Zhao and Professor Lin Chen of Salt Lake Community College and student Anthony Dang, a computer science major at the University of Utah, about the Lunar New Year and the Asian American experience right here in Utah. But first, we welcome the Interim Chief Diversity Officer and Director of the Middle School Family Engagement at Salt Lake Community College, Alonzo Reyna. Rivaloa, the Interim Chief Diversity Officer about the Salt Lake Community College Engagement and Diversity Programs. And we will also be connecting with Ariane Barbosa, the Intern of Justice, Equality, Diversity, Inclusion for Social Transformation, aka the JEDI Program at Salt Lake Community College. All right, thank you for being with us today, Alonso and Ariane. Starting with you, Alonso, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure thing. Uh, thank you for having me, first of all. And my name is Alonso Reina Riverona. As you mentioned, I am the Interim Chief Diversity Officer for Salt Lake Community College. And um, I was born in Peru, actually, and came to the U.S. at the age of 11 and have been living in Utah since. And I've been with Solid Community College since 2020, right before the pandemic and the earthquake. And it's been a lovely time. I really enjoy the college. I think that we do incredible work to serve our students and community at large. And I'm excited to be here with you all. And Ariane, can you also share with our listeners about yourself? Yeah, sure. Yeah, thank you for having me. My name is Ariane Barbosa. I'm actually from Brazil. I have been in the United States for years now. I came to study uh, to learn English and to um, do an MBA here. And then I learned English and I started to study in Solid Community College. Right now I'm a student here doing paralegal program and I also I intern at Jedi Hub. And starting with you, Ariane, what is the Jedi for Social Transformation Program? Um, I think Jedi stands for Justice, Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion. Uh, this is the hub that we embrace everyone, especially the minorities. So people of colors, um, Pacific Islander community, uh, Asians and uh, Hispanic as well. So myself included on that because I'm a woman, I'm a woman of color, I'm a Latina. And um, so it's nice to work there. It's a family oriented um place. So we like to aware people about diversity and show them that how can we work together and make uh, the college a better place for everyone, be inclusive. And um, also, I think, teach about activism and things related to that. And what has that meant to you, being a part of that, Ariane, personally? Personally. Oh, okay. 
Well, I saw that as a gift, I think, because like I mentioned before, I was a student and I was looking for a job at school. And then I saw that position opens up. And the first time that I did the interview was with uh, Dr. Kinikini at the time. And it, it got my attention because it's something that is very related to what I do, especially something that I'm passionate about. Because coming from Brazil, I came from a very uh, dangerous place there. So I saw a lot of my cousins um, ended up in jail, uh, using drugs. And I think that taught me uh, or maybe just uh, show me that I could do better and help people that has no voice. So the passion for justice and inclusion and equity and especially opportunities for everyone was something that I was always seeking for. And when like in my country, we don't have that same opportunity for everyone. So you have to fight uh, for every single thing that you want to do better in life. So for this reason, I think uh, Jedi was something very impressive. I learned that each day when I'm working with them, the team is really great. Uh, Aloso is the best as well. <laughs> so it's a nice place to work at. It sounds wonderful. And Alonso, coming over to you. Um, recently, Dr. Kinney Kinney, the um, diversity officer for SLIC, um, moved on to another position, and she was such a huge part of the diversity community here at Salt Lake Community College, and you were asked to step in as interim, which was huge, and I know many, because I'm a part of the American Indian Student Leadership Club, were very excited to see you step into that position, and so with that experience that you have, and also um, with the JEDI program and other engagement programs here at SLIC, why is it crucial to support these underserved communities? Absolutely, thank you. And thank you for the big compliment. That means a lot to me. Um, so one of the things that we need to keep in mind is that historically our students have been marginalized, right? And that's something that's not only historical, but also contemporary, right? We still know that there is plenty of, of gaps, which we know as the opportunity gap. So it's absolutely crucial for us to invest both you know, in terms of economic capital, but also time and energy and you know, the work that we can do and efforts to supporting our marginalized students here at SLCC. Um, I think that by showing you know, through our engagement with students, dedicated programs, events, outreach, that we actually truly care about making not only our school better, but also our community at large better for our students. And, um, and one of the primary things we wanna do is be able to give back, especially to students who have been marginalized, right? So that's one of the beautiful things about working at Salt Lake Community College is that we truly care and that we truly put our money where our mouth is. And then in the Salt Lake uh, Tribune, there was an article that was recently published uh, last fall by Juliana DeMay about how a 21-day challenge encouraged Utahns to create new social, new social justice habits. And so we have a link for the article. It's going to be in the Radioactive blog. But quoting from that, from you, Ariane, you basically say that successful students, it's a challenge for them because you don't actually come from a place of privilege and you can't just go to school 
per se and just focus on your studies. That for students of color, usually it's pretty dis disproportionate and the obligations outside of school isn't the same as you see for your white peers. And so examples of that, we would love to hear from you. What are examples that, that marginalized communities, students of color are facing, just to paint that picture for those who maybe don't quite understand or don't live that experience? Yeah, sure. Um, I have a friend of mine, uh, she's a mother and she's also a student here. And she, we, we were having a conversation because I remember at the time we started the program at the same time, uh, the legal studies, uh, that was the first time that she is in her 30s right now and trying to pursue a career and starting her undergrad um, to get to to have better opportunities for work and uh, well-paid jobs for it but one point in one point she just told me Ariane I'm not a full-time student anymore because I have to work and take care of my kids and I'm a single mom. So it's kind of tough for me just focus on my school. Even uh, once to finish school faster, I cannot because I have to prioritize my bills. I have to pay bills. I have to take care of my kid. And on top of that, I have to go to the school. So the way that I deal with that, it's basically being a part-time student. So on that case, for example, I feel like the scholarships would be a good way to help her because she could focus on the school and also have not that issue in her mind, uh, thinking that she has to provide for her son and also help. Uh, I remember she mentioned that their parents are elderly and she has to take care of them sometimes. Anyway, it's just kind of tough and you have so many, so many, so much in, on your shoulders that sometimes getting hard uh, to do school, but they know that if you want to do better. And if you want to get a career, you have to uh, finish school. So these seem like super legit challenges that totally make sense of why it would be hard to navigate and attend school. Um, how does the JEDI program help students balance life um, and seeking the basic needs of food, shelter, and college? Well, I think basically um, the first step for people would be prioritize the things that like housing is something important because if you don't have a house, it's kind of hard you uh, do assignments because, you know, you, you don't have a, um, a, a safe place to be in. And um, so the Jedi helps students and especially community um, providing them, not just providing, but giving them the facilities and the information that they need in order to focus on school. For example, housing programs that we have, we actually don't have a law, but it's nice to show them where they can find because sometimes it's all about information, right? Uh, sometimes they don't know, Some nobody told them that they have that uh, facilities. The scholarships is one of them. Most of our students don't know, they're not aware about all the scholarships that we have available for them, which is kind of sad because the money is there for them to be successful. And also I feel like the um, facilities like writing center and um, 
um, this team, it's a good place. Food pantry as well. So we have a lot of good examples in here. The, yeah, we can go on and on on that. <laughs> Thank you, though. We appreciate that because it helps paint that picture and kind of lets us know why resources and actually getting that information out there is so important. And I wanted to, to kind of shift the focus here and I want to talk to Alonso about um, another program that you're deeply involved in and besides JEDI, but the middle school engagement programs and not just going high school, but we're talking going middle school, like starting and laying that foundation early. And what do programs like this um, do for future enrollment at SLIC and for just students in general looking to, I guess, dream a bigger dream and really go for what they want, what they believe in and what they want to do and serve at, excuse me, for what they want to do and where and how they want to serve their communities? Yeah, that's a great question. Thank you. So one of the things that I'm really excited to share is that um, this year, Salt Lake Community College is launching our middle school engagement program. So we will be working with a set group of um, approximately 60 students at two different school sites. And we'll be deepening our work within the community by providing what is known as youth participatory action research opportunities for these young middle school students to get involved. What is really exciting about this type of um, work, which is known as YPAR, Youth Participatory Action Research, is that we get to work with young people to identify things that they care about in the community and be able to address them through creative methods and means, right? So for instance, like let's say students wanted to work on a project regarding the environment, they can. And one of the things that we notice when working with young people is that a lot of times, sadly, the education system has not been too exciting for them, especially minoritized students, because sometimes the curriculum is not relevant to their experiences, the curriculum may be too antiquated, and also the delivery of the curriculum may not be you know, at par with, what's, uh, with how students want to learn, because again, um, I truly believe that teachers are overburdened with a lot of you know, meeting test scores and standards to the point where students who need the most support and attention are not getting that. So we want to intervene. We want to be the ones who come in and say, okay, how can we make education exciting for you so you can envision yourself as a college student? For me, that involves research. That means that we get to work with these young people to identify issues that they care about in the community, whether it's immigration, sexism, food access, whatever it might be, and then find creating ways to address it. Right. So and when we work with young people, we know that sometimes, you know, students may not know exactly what they want to do. Right. Because that's normal. When we work with young people, if you tell if you ask them, oh, so what do you care about? Sometimes they say, I don't know. Right. Because that's a normal response. But we can also flip that and ask, so what don't you like? And maybe that's where we generate more questions. Right. Maybe students say, well, I don't like that. I can't go to the bathroom whenever I want to in school. It's like, cool. Let's do something about it. You know, so what would it mean to get a group of young people to, you know, come together, do research, interview their peers, understand, you know, what, you know, what a bathroom policy might look like that they want to abide to and then implement it, right? Like to work with school administrators to be able to like, you know, pass either policy or practices, right? So it's a way to empower young people to see themselves not only as leaders, but as, you know, community change agents, right? So I'm really excited to get to um, start that type of work here at SLCC. So I love that because it sounds like you're really helping youth 
uh, early on figure out that they actually really do have a voice and it has power and beginning to cultivate that and how important that work is. And so what I wonder is with that in the direct work you're doing, because I will say I looked at Alonso's stuff. He's not just, you know, actually doing the actions. He's, he's writing scholarly articles and backing up his work. And he's hitting at hitting this from so many different angles. That's truly inspiring to see not only are you talking the talk, but you're walking the walk. And then with that, for those who want to join in and support these movements, these programs, allyship, what does that look like? Because I think it's super important to know that it's not marginalized communities and underserved communities' job to provide those with privilege checklists. So what is good allyship? Can you paint that picture for us and, and direct us and what that looks like? Absolutely, and that's a brilliant question. Um, and uh, so when I used to work with undocumented students more directly, one of the things that I found was that a lot of people wanted to help, right? A lot of people were really like well-intentioned and would often come to me and say, how can I help? And to be completely honest with you, that was, probably the hardest question to answer because then that would put more work on us, you know, minoritized communities to come up with projects, ideas, you know, uh, things for people, for well-intended people to do, right? So instead, I found that the best partnerships that I could like forge with, you know, different community orgs and um, campus community members and people in the community who wanted to help was when people came to me with projects in mind and would be like, if we were to host a 5K and donate all the funds to undocumented students, would that help? Absolutely. So I would just have to like step in and like, you know, provide feedback in terms of like, you know, little things here and there, provide logos, et cetera. And then the work was done, you know, and that's good allyship. Other examples include like, oh, can we host, you know, um, an event and, you know, invite X, Y, and Z people and, you know, and then, and then that would only require like, you know, the, the people that you want to support to like be able to come in again, just make sure that we spell check things like, you know, make sure that things are clear, that dates work and um, boom, like, you know, that's good allyship. Also for those who can't afford it and who can help donate, that's also good allyship because a lot of times people need this, the funding to be able to produce the work that they want to be able to produce or to like create the change that they want to see in the world, right? So these are, you know, definitely tactics that people can use. And again, identify your own skill sets and identify your strengths and your connections and say, okay, like I have these, you know, I have these connections or I have these skill sets. How can I put them to work and then propose that to the person or the group that you want to support and say, you know, if I were to do X, Y, and Z, would that be helpful? And then it's okay if they tell you no, or it's okay if they tell, tell you, yes, absolutely, that would be great. And, you know, maybe consider doing this, this, and that versus how, you know, how can I help? Because then that puts a burden on the person that you're trying to help to do all the work for you and tell you exactly what you need to do, <laughs> right? So for me, that's good allyship. Perfect. And what I hear you saying is that basically let the community you want to support, let them lead. They will show you how they want you to step in. And it's definitely not a savior situation. 
it is a solidarity situation and there is a distinct difference. And one thing I'd like to point out um, that will also be in the KRCL Radioactive blog post is a link to uh, Alonso's Office of Diversity and Inclusion. And it's a beautiful PDF speaking about the centering of the Black experience. And if you go through that, showing different ways that you can educate yourself, how to have those tough conversations um, or advocacy and standing up when, when sometimes it's not cool or popular to do so, but it can make and plant these seeds that make a huge difference. So I want to thank you so much, Alonso, for speaking about that. And I always love to ask this is, um, going back to Ariane, what is a vision that you hold for yourself, your community, family, or future generations? Well, being a mother of two, I see a different uh, future future for my kids, for sure. Um, a future that they have better opportunities, they have open doors everywhere they, where they go, especially in high education. I think this is the future that I'm seeking and I don't know, five years, 10 years max. Thank you. And Alonso, to you as well, what is a vision that you hold, especially for your position with the amount of influence that you hold, not just in the scholarly community, but actually just getting in there hands-on and working with these underserved communities who need that advocacy, that support and resources? Yeah, thank you for that question. For me, it's all about empowerment, right? And I want people to feel empowered and I want people to feel proud. I want people to center their own forms of knowledge and not only validate them, but be able to amplify them. And I, again, truly want people to feel important, to feel valuable, because ultimately we are, right? So for me, that's a big vision for my work. It's to ensure that people can center their own experiences, center their own realities, push forward, and be able to elevate them and amplify them through empowerment. Beautiful. Thank you both so much for being here. We're so grateful to, for, to you, Alonso, and to Ariane. And how can our listeners connect with you on social media so they can continue to follow your work, your progress? And Alonso, please, if you could start. Sure. Um, so for our actual office work, of course, uh, you know, if you uh, go to our SLCC website for inclusivity, that's where you can find what we're doing, as well as our middle school programs and how we're growing. We are, in fact, actively hiring for a middle school program coordinator position, and that position closes on the 25th. So if you're interested in joining us in this work, please apply. We are really excited to grow our team. And uh, personally, you can find me on Twitter and by looking me up with my first letter of my name. So A-R-E-Y-N-A-R-I-V-A-R-O-L-A. And yeah, that's, that's where you'll see me posting about everything and anything. Great. And Alonso, so that's the 25th of February that that deadline closes? Correct. Perfect. And then Ariane, do you have a social media that our, our listeners can follow you at? Oh, yes, I do. <laughs> I'm active on Instagram. So if you want to look at uh, my um, IG is Ariane Barbosa, A-R-I-A-N-E, Barbosa, B-A-R-B-O-Z-A, D dot A-D-V. So this is my Instagram. Great. And we always love to have song recommendations. So Ariane, what is your song that's getting a lot of play on your playlist? Well, my playlist is very diverse. It depends on my humor, my mood, and the week. But for now, I think I'm going to go 
with Queen B, Beyonce. So Brown Skin Girl, it's a it's a song that I like. Yes, I think we all heard that play in our head right there. <laughs> Good. Okay, and then Alonso, what's on your playlist? What's your song that you want to recommend to our listeners? Yeah, that's a great question. Right now, what's on my rotation is um, Yendri and Lou and the Yakuza. It's a song called Masquerade. It's a beautiful new single that just came out. All right, and we want to thank Alonso and Ariane for joining us. And if you'd like more information about the resources, please check out our show links in the Radioactive blog for more information. Thank you, Alonso and Ariane, for those song choices. And check our show notes for the song playlist. And I am Valine Pratchford, your host, and you're listening to Radioactive. And we are going to be checking in with the Lunar New Year as the celebrations wrapped up last week. And I had a chance to speak with a few community members about the Lunar New Year and what this holiday means to the Asian American community and their collective experience of living here in Salt Lake Valley. And we have Professor Lin Chen of Salt Lake Community College's Center for Language and Dr. Xin Zhao, an assistant professor of psychology at Salt Lake Community College, both here to share their stories and traditions about the recently celebrated New Year. And later, I'll check in with the University of Utah student, Anthony Dang, who recently collaborated with Salt Lake Community College and Westminster College for the Lunar New Year celebration. But first, can you introduce yourself, Professor Chen? My name is Lin Chen. I'm from mainland China. And currently, I'm teaching Chinese here as a professor, uh, teaching Chinese, and I'm running the language center here at Solid Community College. Thank you so much for being here. And our other guest, Dr. Zhao, could you please tell us about yourself? I'm Dr. Xin Zhao. In Chinese, our last name uh, is actually goes first. So in Chinese, it would be Zhao Xin. That's my name. And I'm a third-year assistant professor of psychology here at FLCC. I immigrated to the United States when I was 12 years old. Um, we relocated to uh, Blacksburg, Virginia. And that's where I attended middle school and high school. Uh, and then I went to Virginia Tech for my undergraduate. Wonderful. And welcome. 
Dr. Zhao, we know with the Lunar New Year, it's a celebration of the new year. Can you paint a picture for what that kind of looks like more traditionally versus maybe more now uh, here with you being in Utah? So if I was in China, right, the celebration would be different. Uh, same thing can be said for Chinese people, uh, mostly in Asia, right? In, uh, whether it's in um, Vietnam, whether it's in Cambodia, like ethnic Chinese people, the celebration will be greater in the sense that there's a bigger gathering. Usually it, it comes with a feast, um, firecrackers, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, whereas in U.S. or overseas, mostly in, um, in the Western world, so to speak, I would say we can kind of recognize that it is something that happens. But most of us, we don't celebrate, so to speak, because we have work, right? Um, and in fact, uh, if you really wanted to be strict about it, depends on uh, where you are from China, there's different costumes. Some area, areas actually suggest that, you know, first day of the new year, uh, you should not be doing any work. Uh, but here I am at work, right? Uh, because it's supposed to be bad luck. That if you're working on the first day, that means you're going to be busy for the rest of the year. Um, but I mean, given the context, so what we usually do then is we usually would have smaller gatherings or uh, festivals uh, where people just get together and eat food, uh, that kind of thing. Um, but also because of pandemic, um, so that's very limited. Um, so I would say, yeah, so the short answer is that overseas, mostly we just focus on a, a feast of some sort with family, if possible. Uh, but most of the times, we actually just go to work like everybody else. Professor Chen, could you share with us the origins of some of the traditions and how the Lunar New Year actually came to be? Now, the truth is just for fun. Is that this Nian is the name of a monster who always come out on the last day of the year to eat the kids of people going into the villages to look for that. So people decide to really uh, try to drive this monster away by making huge sound. So that's why this is where the, the, the firecracker came from. They are to drive away that monster. And they, this monster also is afraid of fire. And fire is red color. That's why they just put a lot of things in red color. The whole purpose to drive away a monster called the Nian, and the monster actually ran away. So the next day, every household, when they wake up, they find that kids were not missing. Everything there, they start to celebrate um, by congratulations. So they say congratulations to each other, and it became the tradition. So that in nowadays, in the first year, the first day of, of the new year, people meet with each other, they will always say, Congratulations. And then um, my, my, my um, parents' generation, they would always say, which means congratulations and wish you make a good fortune. That's what they say, right? And it came from that. And firecrackers and all this red stuff all came from this story. What a fascinating story and explains so much about the firecrackers and all the red color that's used in Lunar New Year. And Professor Chen, could you share with us what are some of your fond memories growing up in the Lunar New Year celebrations? A couple of things that I 
was excited and looking forward to and couldn't wait for the new year to come inside. And only on the new year day, I got to wear new clothes, new pants, you know, once a year. And then the New Year's Eve, uh, the New Year's Eve feast or is the richest of the year. I could enjoy all kinds of food. And thirdly, I have this fat envelope. I actually have the money to spend to get something that I like. Dr. Zhao, in understanding the Lunar New Year, you have to understand the culture and the countries from which it originated, such as China. And sometimes I feel like in American understanding, sometimes there's so much contention around that due to social political issues. And what is it that you want for people's experience to be of the Chinese culture and China itself? Right, so I highly encourage people to actually learn about China on their own terms, if possible. So that means if they can, uh, visit China ideally. Uh, an interesting trend I noticed when I, when I visited China previously, especially in recent years, is on your flight there to China, uh, you notice people feel very uncomfortable, uh, whether it's because of anxiety of going into a, so to speak, different country, or is because uh, uh, that they feel like immediately they're going to a place they don't want to go, maybe for business reasons or whatever. But usually on the return flight, uh, I don't see any unhappy faces, right? Because they probably pick up something that they didn't think uh, they knew before. If that's not possible, right, at least learn about China on their own terms, meaning like try to find a third world media uh, and see how it portrays China. So that would be away from United States media, away from United Kingdom media, uh, because I think the media just regurgitates the same perception that existed 20, 50 years ago. And that's not accurate. Thank you, Dr. Zhao, for that awesome advice. And I think it's so important that if you want to know about something, you must experience it and not hear secondhand. And shifting here into actual celebrations, I had the chance to join the Lunar New Year celebrations that were coordinated between the local Asian student associations of Salt Lake Community College, Westminster College, and the University of Utah. Anthony Dang, a computer science major at the U, shared with me the significance of the Lunar New Year. Uh, organize this event also kind of like a way for me to remind ways I'm come from and my traditionals. It is really nice though. And then he shared what it meant to him and his community. This is the first year since COVID. Yes, last year we celebrated online, which is not that great. But we still do it because we don't want anyone feel lonely during the holidays. And th- yeah, since it's like the first year we came out COVID, there's a lot of uh, difficulties for us, but we manage it and then we're here today. We got it done. So it's successful today for, for us and for me personally. And all the festivities ended with the lion dance. And to bring celebration, connection, and abundance in the new year for all. And that was a clip from celebrations at Salt Lake Community College with the University of Utah student, Anthony Dang. And Professor Zhao, as we wrap up, I want to take a song request from you. What do you have for us? Fuhuang Chi is the name of the group. It's two singers. Fuhuang um, Chi means it's a phoenix, a phoenix tradition or phoenix something. You might have an official translation if you look online. And the name of the song is 自由飞翔, which means uh, flying free. 
And that's our reflection on the Lunar New Year here in Salt Lake Valley. And we want to thank Professor Chen of the Salt Lake Language Center, Dr. Zi Zhao, Assistant Professor of Psychology here at Salt Lake Community College, and Anthony Dang, student at the University of Utah, for joining us today. And if you'd like more information about the Lunar New Year events and pictures, check out the Radioactive blog for more information and to hear the Salt Lake Community College playlist. And here is Ziyu Feng Zhang by the band Phoenix Legend. up our show for the week but not before tasting some pop culture nuggets let's dive into this week's pop news with johnny tallstrip and ariel witterberg of voices amplified team to talk what's going on out there in the pop news world all right johnny can you let us know what's trending out there the oscars it's hot nominations came out what do we got yeah we just had the oscar nominations come out i think one of the bigger surprises may have been for some people that uh the sci-fi epic from denis Villeneuve. Uh, Dune was received 10 nominations out of there. Um, personally, I think it is unlikely that they will walk away with any wins, despite all those nominations. They might win for visual effects, but I think overall they are looking at a night of disappointment for them. But it could also be a big night for some younger stars. I know that Andrew Garfield is nominated for Best Actor in the musical film Tick Tock Boom or sorry, Tick Tick Boom, my apologies. Uh, that An interesting little fact about that one is that before the filming of this musical film, uh, Andrew Garfield had actually never sung professionally before. So he had to take a whole lot of vocal lessons and he was kind of pulled onto it when uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda, the writer of Hamilton, kind of just saw him performing one day and just said like, hey, you should do this and sort of goaded him into doing a musical. So fun little thing that worked out. So can I ask, are we talking about the Andrew Garfield that played Spider-Man? Yes, that is the Andrew Garfield that played one of the Spider-Man in the most recent Spider-Man film who did the, yes. So like the second generation Spider-Man. So he's he's uh, becoming more dynamic as an actor then. That's kind of cool. Yeah, he's he had a really great year. He actually, that, that, that Spider-Man was actually the third feature film he had done for the year. He was in that Spider-Man, he was in TikTok Boom, and then also in The Eyes of Tammy Faye, he also played in a role in that film as well. So he's had a, quite the year, actually. And do you have any Oscar nominations or films that you recommend people check out before we actually see the Oscars? Yeah, absolutely. One of the nice things actually about this year's Oscars is that a lot of these films are actually available right now on streaming services. So they're a lot easier to access. Sometimes some of these kind of artsy uh, films that make these best, best picture nomination lists and things like that are tend to be a little harder for people to access, but people can go onto like services like Netflix and watch uh, the power of the dog, which has 12 Oscar nominations to its name. It's an excellent film and I highly recommend checking it out. They can also check out don't look up on Netflix, which is another film nominated for best picture on the service HBO max. You can check out uh, both Dune and nightmare alley, 
which are two films nominated for Best Picture. And on Apple TV, you can take you take a look at Coda, another film nominated for Best Picture. So there's half the list is available for you on streaming services right there. And I recommend that you check all of them out. Okay. And Ariel, moving forward in pop news, we also have the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame nominations that came out as well. Can you tell us about that? What's going on there? So yeah, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame nominations came out, I think it was a week ago or so. Um, And um, I I have a few of the nominees. It's uh, A Tribe Called Quest, Eminem, um, Rage Against the Machine, Lionel Richie, Pat Benatar, Diane Warwick, and Duran Duran. And the, the inductee will be decided on May, in May. And were you surprised by any of the nominations or people that have been overlooked and finally getting nominated? I was a bit surprised about of, of the few of the nominations. There's some that I don't even really know <laughs> if I'm being honest. So, um, but I was excited about quite a few of them. So, all right, Ariel, and where can folks find out more information about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame nominees and how to vote? Go to rockhall.com. You have till April 29th to vote. And as always, we love having you join us, Johnny and Ariel. That's it for this week in Pop Culture Nuggets. And I'm Valine Fratrovich, your host, and you've been listening to Voices Amplified Takeover of Radioactive in partnership with Amplify Utah and the Salt Lake Community College right here on KRCL. Next week's show, as always, we'll have special guests, stories that matter, things you care about. Next Monday, 6, right here on KRCL 90.9. Sending love to tonight's guests for stepping up to the mic and sharing their stories with us. And I want to give a special thank you to executive producer Laura Jones of Radioactive for passing the mic and giving the next wave of journalists a platform to share and connect with the beloved Salt Lake community. We also want to give a thanks to Voices Amplified and Marcy Young-Cancio, my professor and Amplify Utah, director for continued support of diverse storytellers and tonight's team for making it all possible lead producer amy kramer associate producer sean stetson booking producer johnny tolstrup and digital producer ariel witterberg thank you for joining us on krcl every monday night at six right here on krcl 90.9 and i'm sending you peace and truth to you and all you love and this is voices amplified right here on krcl it looks great on you